Hello and welcome to A Decade Apart. Hey, I'm Calvin. And I'm Tim. And in this podcast, we fuse politics and technology together. Uh, Calvin, you're a big politics fan, right? Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. And I hold the fort in tech. And this is our third podcast. Um, you might have noticed last week we didn't actually say what the podcast was about at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so we're leading straight with that this week. So if you're listening maybe for the third time, uh, that's essentially what we're about. Um, we're two brothers, 10 years apart, and we talk about politics and technology. Um, last week we talked about Uber, didn't we, Calvin? Yeah, it was um, quite an interesting topic. Like the day we released the podcast, Uber had to pay out, I think it's 20 million to um, yep. drivers that they misled out yep. advertising like certain hourly rates, which they would get, which obviously isn't the case because they're not classed as full-time workers. Exactly, exactly. And so we, we sort of recorded that podcast a week before Uber hit the news on multiple fronts. There was that case and then TFL was taking them to court about these English tests. That, um, That's such a coincidence. <laughs> drivers need to do. <laughs> we were talking about TFL on that day. And then also four days before that in America, uh, there was uh, now a well-publicized case about uh, an ex-Uber employee who uh, had uh, had an awful time there. So, <laughs> it, it, you know, the thing I wanted to touch back on that is it's funny because when these companies are essentially breaking rules and really pushing the boundaries, no one seems to have a problem. Uh, and when that culture doesn't stop, that's when people start paying attention. So, I mean, the way Uber's behaving at the moment, I'd say it's actually pretty in line with how the company has been formed. I mean, they've broken so many rules uh, and sort of platforms around the world and they've challenged a regulation. And that's essentially why they, you know, they've, they've succeeded because they've been able to successfully contest some of those things. And now they're failing at some of that. And also now that more people are paying attention to them, it seems like they're going to have done all the hard work, but take all the flack for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So now that was, that was an interesting topic. Um, we also had some uh, show feedback from last week, uh, not least the fact that we didn't actually say what the show was about. But, um, <laughs> the glaring feedback. <laughs> <laughs> the slight problem. Um, but also, uh, we've, we've had a lot of, again, positive feedback about the show format and so on and so forth. So we're going to continue refining that and sort of pushing that forward. Um, Calvin, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I just want to say um, thanks to everyone who's been listening. I've like, been hearing some great stuff and um suggestions about possible future guests new topics we could do so yeah we're just trying to really see how this goes to be honest i completely forgot we did get some requests for people wanting to be on the show so you know that's that's really uh well it's awesome that you want to be on the show but i think we we still need to sort ourselves out over in this corner so <laughs> yeah. we're going to be planning that in the near-term future and we'll see how that goes. Um, the other thing to do is to remember, you can find us online at decadeapart.com. And there you can find all the podcast platforms that you can find us, not least iTunes and also Overcast, which we're personally big fans of. But also tune in for Android and various other apps. Uh, so basically, yeah, visit decadeapart.com and subscribe to the episodes. So um, this week, Calvin, we have one topic, don't we? It's a big topic. It's um, cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies. I'm going to throw in the term Bitcoin just for for fun, but uh, what we're really talking about is cryptocurrencies, and I'll, I'll drill drill in on that point. But essentially, I think this is a very interesting area, partly because of the way it it almost threatens to completely revolutionise the way that not just currencies work, but trust in a digital world. Okay, 
So, um, Kevin, do, do you have Bitcoin? Let's start with Bitcoin. So do you have a Bitcoin? No, I don't have a Bitcoin. Um, the most I knew about it sort of up until this year was that it's deregulated. No one really sure what it's about. It's used on the black markets of the black web of the internet. And um, yeah, it's becoming more valuable as each month and each year goes on. But no one's really sure on what its potential is. Cool. And what what's your sense of how politicians and or governments sort of understand it? I don't think they don't understand it. I mean, I don't think anyone's really paid enough attention to it, to be honest, within like the financial institutions of government. Okay. Okay, fair enough. And um, so you don't have a Bitcoin. I actually happen to have some Bitcoin, not multiple Bitcoin. I have like a, a fraction of a of a single Bitcoin um, in a in a bit in a Bitcoin wallet. So what I what I found really interesting, I got into this whole Bitcoin thing ages ago, ages ago. I, I even forgot that I had Bitcoin at one point. It just it just sort of dawned on me that wait a minute, I have a Bitcoin wallet. I kept all the detail. <laughs> I kept all the details. Uh, and then you have to basically keep keep your Bitcoin wallet details secure because if you lose them, you also lose your your your, your bank account. It's a bit like losing your card and therefore no longer being able to access any money in your bank account, uh, which is <laughs> which is like a slight problem. There's many many stories of people losing uh, Bitcoin, uh, you know, millions of pounds worth of Bitcoin because they lost their their wallet. So <laughs> you have to you have to be slightly careful. It's not not like your conventional. Uh, a current account or bank account um but yes no i got into bitcoin uh, a while back and at the time uh it was it was having a real boom and bust so you know one day it'd be worth hundreds of pounds or dollars the next day it'll be worth only you know double digit numbers it was just sort of fluctuating a lot when well, was that to... sort of like um 2012 yeah exactly exactly yeah. exactly so it was having like its own you know hike and crash almost like you know new technologies do you know like the web had a, a big crash a, a while back but um uh, the thing is the the biggest issue i've i've had with uh bitcoin and or cryptocurrencies is that the terminology is almost used uh like almost just swapped people just use them as if they're the same thing sure and they're actually not so let me just let me just sort of try and break that down now what one thing i hate when people are talking about bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is using more complex words to come to describe complex things <laughs> <laughs> you just get yourself modeled exactly exactly so i'm going to try and describe this without using complex words so calvin you need to hold I'll me be to the this. judge exactly be the judge and challenge me if i if i fail to do this so essentially um bitcoin is a cryptocurrency okay and so what i really need to describe is what is a cryptocurrency okay so um, the hint is sort of in the name. You've got the currency bit and then you've got the crypto bit. And the crypto bit refers to the crypto cryptographic uh, algorithm. So essentially, this currency relies on a bunch of, um, I'm going to say, algorithms that authenticate the value of that particular thing. So let's say I have a pound coin, okay? Okay. Now, in today's world, if you give me a pound coin, I know that if I physically have that pound coin, it's real money. Okay. Now you have a problem in the digital world because you don't have anything physical. So how do you know that you've got this thing that I've given you? Right. You need a way of authenticating that that thing exists. Yeah. Okay? And that's where the crypto cryptographic algorithms come in. Essentially, what you're doing is you're making a mathematical operation check and validate that a particular digital code is valid 
And then once that's valid, then the transaction is authorized. Okay. Okay. So if you think about a transaction today, when I go to the till and I use my card, you have MasterCard, Visa, um, and what they do is they authenticate uh, transactions for you. It's almost the same thing, except for it's being done by one or two, three, four big companies. In this particular case, it's being done by everyone in the network. And once one person figures out that this transaction is valid, that message is propagated to everyone. So propagation means it's sent out, shared to everyone. Sure. So, so, so does that make sort of sense? Yeah, so it essentially um, removes the bank, sort of Visa, MossCard, all those institutions. It removes that third party and then I mean, essentially leaves the transactions between two parties. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a simplified version of it. But yes, if let's just take that to be the case in this particular case. So if we look at Bitcoin, which is a form of cryptocurrency, there's many others. Um, but Bitcoin is financially concerned with uh, money. It's, it's a value-based uh, cryptographic currency. And these things don't have to be necessarily fixed to a currency. You can have uh, cryptographic contracts. You can have uh, lots of different forms of trust-based uh, transactions happening in this particular way because all that happens is that the algorithm needs to verify that uh, party A and party B have the goods uh, and that an exchange is taking place between those people. Now, anywhere right. in between that, you can put any number of rules into that process, right? Yeah. And so that's where the, the value comes in, because you build in the rules into this uh, framework. And then when those rules are triggered, everything automatically happens. OK. OK. So if I talk about Bitcoin again, let's say you want to pay me money. I open my Bitcoin wallet and I simply say, send Calvin uh, or you send me, uh, I don't know, let's say one Bitcoin. OK. And when I hit send, what happens is uh, a complicated bit of maths happens on your device. It uh, encrypts that uh, message and it sends it into the network. Okay. Yeah. And then what happens in the network is that lots and lots of computers are now trying to figure out this encrypted message. And by virtue of doing that, once they figure it out, they essentially authenticate the transaction. Okay, so it's exactly the same, very similar concept. And if it, let's say we change this to law, if I was to create a contract and then uh, digitally sign it, encrypt it, and then send it out into the network, what that would allow people to do is to say, okay, here's a contract, here's how it works, here are all the rules within that contract. When these conditions are met, trigger a release of these funds. Okay. Sure. So do you, do you, do you have I, have I explained it well or have I just gone yeah, deeper Yeah, that explains the, it really well. Um, in, in, in terms of the, because you mentioned the network of computers which authenticate the transaction. Yeah. How much susceptibility is that for that process being manipulated, hacked? Because um, I'm assuming because it's a cryptocurrency, obviously that area of it needs to be the most secure. Otherwise, the okay. whole system falls apart. So the thing here is uh, is that it's actually incredibly secure because... These uh, crypto, let's call these uh, crypto uh, exchanges or transactions, the breaking or, you know, decrypting those codes is actually really, really hard. They're like, you need seriously powerful computing power to do this. Right. And the reason it works is because many people around the world are doing it. Many people around the world have an exchange that are figuring out these algorithms. So for you and me, it's incredibly difficult. Now, 
The other thing is uh, these things require um, human beings to use them, okay? And yeah. so the biggest point of weakness with uh, cryptocurrencies isn't actually the currency itself, but it's how you get into the currency, right? Because if I want to get Bitcoin, I have to pay someone uh, some other form of value, right? So I can I can turn up and say, hey, I have a car. Will you give me 10 Bitcoin for it? Yeah? yeah. If you give me 10 Bitcoin, then I now have Bitcoin. I'm in the network, okay? So this is sort of a concept people take for granted. Um, the only other example I can give is when you go abroad, you need to go to the post office and change your money, okay? And at the point where you're changing the money, that is the biggest point of failure because if the person who you're changing the money with isn't secure, doesn't handle your transaction properly, they can manipulate that transaction in such a way that disadvantages you. Does that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So the 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 the, the technology behind the you know cryptocurrencies or crypto transactions are pretty secure. However, like anything, they're susceptible to single points of failure. Uh, the biggest example with Bitcoin was actually a company called Mt. Gox who got severely hacked. I think uh, pretty much m most users who had any sort of Bitcoin held with them had their Bitcoin stolen. Okay? Oh, no. And the issue there wasn't the Bitcoin uh, framework. It was actually the fact that this company wasn't storing uh, wallets, Bitcoin wallets, in a secure way. And so people hacked uh, into their systems, got hold of the Bitcoin wallets, and therefore had control of many people's Bitcoins. Okay, so but, it sort of it relies on all the other company networks which utilize it to be secure. That's quite a lot of exposure then that it's offering yeah, itself up th to. Th think of that as like the world's biggest bank robbery. That's essentially the same thing, you know. In modern day terms, the the bank keeps the money in a in a safe in a vault downstairs, and if for whatever reason it has lax policies about how you get into that vault, then someone will target it. It's essentially the same thing. But you then don't start critiquing the pound do you? you you critique the way the money is being kept secure rather than uh, the actual currency itself because the currency itself is still working it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do however the way that that currency was stored people trusted a web service and that web service didn't have uh, solid sort of rules in place uh, to sure. look after it so you know i think i think that is something that can be improved I think um, it's still so grey to get hold of Bitcoin at the moment um, that that's where people are taking exploits. And I think every currency sort of has to do something to, 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 to counteract these things. Of course. Um, but on the other hand, um, what they've been able to do with the cryptocurrency is figure out a very, very secure way of doing transactions in a completely open, transparent way that totally eliminates the middleman, in essence, and means that transactions are happening much, much faster with no fees for what's happening when the money goes from A to B and much, much better transparency globally of those of those transactions. Yeah, now the issue with that is that because you've essentially removed that third party and all the transactions are apparent, they're not hidden, Bitcoin is now being used in a lot of illegal markets. So I think... Um, you had the website Silk Road, which was closed down in sort of 2014, 15. It's obviously back up again in a different format. But because of the um, security prowess of Bitcoin, that made it attractive to them to use it. So do you think there's any issue in terms of Bitcoin being sort of used as a vehicle to finance illegal drug trade, sex trafficking? Any Absolutely. Sort of Absolutely. But, 
I think that's true with any currency. I think when whenever I see pictures of uh, drug barons and drug lords being caught in America, they always have pictures showing mountains of dollars. Like so, <laughs> I think people can very quickly uh, gravitate towards. Um, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies and say, hey, look, here's a problem. But there's still far, far, far more damage being done by existing currencies in that respect uh, being held as pure cash. So I think it's a problem that exists with any currency. Um, any Anyone will take advantage of the loopholes within a currency to make it work. These guys are storing it in cash, not putting it in the bank account. Therefore, the money can't be traced easily. That's a problem with uh, existing existing currencies. Bitcoin, on the other hand, um, you can't store anything offline, but the transactions are uh, who's doing the transaction is anonymized. And so therefore, you know, it has its pros and cons. And you could argue that uh, at least with Silk Road, you have visibility that a, you know, you have visibility on how big the black market is. You could probably go in and say, hmm, that's a lot of suspicious transactions. Exactly. Know who's, do- who's doing them. But hey, I know it's exactly what you can see that you can see the pattern of how it's evolving to <laughs> be you can't exactly. do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. You might be able to to inform policy, but at least you can see that this transaction is happening. Um, you don't necessarily know it's between A and B, but everything is happening within the currency and it's visible. Okay, and if you if you have enough information, you do enough math, you can very quickly figure out. Okay, this this amount of money is 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 going into the black market, and that's something that I don't think uh, you know existing currencies can give you with such a such a definitive, precise sort of accuracy. But then th- these are the trade offs. Sure, um, I, do, I I do think you're right though. I think it in the transition phase, some people are being taken advantage of. The yeah. fact that you can use their currency to, to order a hitman um, to, to carry out crimes. I mean, some people are even using them to to, to, to carry out insurance fraud. So uh, they're going into the uh, Silk Road and they're, they're buying someone's time to go burn down a house. And then those people are claiming insurance saying their house was burned down by someone they don't know. And obviously it's difficult to trace because uh, the whole thing's anonymized. So I think um, the essence that I'm getting is that there's a lot of uncertainty around Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency, there are obviously a lot of pros and cons with it. And I think that's um, been expressed in how volatile the value of it has been since it was incepted in 2009. Yeah, 2009. Yeah, yeah. That's so right. this month, 3rd of March, for the first time, the actual value of a Bitcoin rose above the value of an ounce of gold. So I've got the figures here. I think it was on the Thursday. Bitcoin was valued at $1,268, whereas a Troy ounce of gold only stood at 1233 Exactly. So even though we've already discussed some of the cons with it, I think as a currency in itself, its value is still on an upward trend, which is only beneficial for the company. Exactly. And, you know, this. let's talk a bit about the value of a currency like, and where that really comes from. Fundamentally, it just depends on critical mass, right? If yeah. I, if we today, Calvin, okay, today we're going to invent the uh, uh, Nguena coin, okay? And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, between you and me, this coin is 100% legit. Okay? <laughs> it's worth like $10,000 for one exactly. coin. <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's, let's validate that now, okay? Now, now, what we've just done 
it's not far from what happened with Bitcoin. The only difference is that those guys started 10 years ago and now everyone's using it. So if in 15 years' time, you and me can convince millions of people around the world to use the Nguena coin and show the benefits, it's a currency as far as the world's concerned. Exactly. It's all based on trust. Exactly. Exactly. So between you and me, we trust each other. So the Nguena coin is completely valid. Okay. We, we, can, we, can, we can say it's digital and email each other transactions. And hey, if it's only you and me ever using the currency, then it's doing its job. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, can we please make this like <laughs> my, my face on one side, your face on the other? <laughs> Just a spinning graphic. The world's most exclusive uh, uh, cryptocurrency. <laughs> I will actually, if, if we get enough requests for that, I would happily invest some time into making that graphic. <laughs> okay there you have it if we have enough share responses on uh, the Nguena coin then uh, we, we, we will see where that goes oh why did but... I just do that no. <laughs> <laughs> but no the thing is is that that is exactly how currency works you know it depends on the intrinsic value of something it just so happens that gold platinum these metals these are global standards that thing un- people understand to have a certain value uh, and therefore, that's what we go with. But if you look at um, the US dollar, which is a fiat currency, um, by the way, fiat currency is essentially a currency that where the government, um, I guess, what is the word? Um, the government pledges that uh, a certain amount of dollars is worth X, right? But there's no actual uh, standard that it's backed on. So the US, uh, sorry, the UK pound is a gold standard currency. You can go to the Bank of England and exchange five pounds worth of gold if you give them five pound note. Technically, you could do that. I'm sure it's not that easy, but you could technically do that. Yeah. Um, fiat currencies don't have that. They're just they they're given an arbitrary value, which is backed by the the government that runs that currency. So if we if we go back to uh, the values in currency. Essentially, it's up to uh, people to decide what a Bitcoin is worth. And yes, when it started out, they were worth absolutely nothing. The stories of people ordering pizzas worth 20 Bitcoin, and now that's a $20,000 pizza. (laughs) See, for some reason in my head, I thought Bitcoin is only worth like 100 quid each, but... Yeah, yeah. When I joined, a Bitcoin was worth 150. I should really check my Bitcoin wallet and check how much yeah. it's worth now. <laughs> you got like 100 Bitcoins lying about. Like, <laughs> open my wallet and realize, oh crap, <laughs> I have a sizable amount of money here. I need to shift it. <laughs> Yes, but this is the thing. I mean, obviously, the the fluctuations go up and down, but it's steadily rising. And one of the beautiful things about the currency is that it's going to have a finite uh, amount of Bitcoins, I think, in about 2021. So I, I can't remember yeah, 20, the exact date. 2025 is when there Bitcoins will stop being produced by the produced. algorithm. Exactly, exactly. So... As you mentioned that, let's talk a little bit about the three core activities um, that is involved in Bitcoin. So we've talked mostly about the transactions, i.e. you and me uh, exchanging money with each other. Uh, There is also Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin exchanges. So let me start with the Bitcoin exchange. Okay. 
pretty much think of this as your bureau de change uh, or a money money exchange service, okay? So you're going on holiday, you need to change from pounds to dollars, dollars to pounds. You go to a company, they tell you this is the rate, and then they exchange a currency into another currency for you. This is essentially what Bitcoin exchange is doing. You give them pounds or dollars, they give you Bitcoin. Simple, okay? Uh, a Bitcoin transaction, that's uh, between you and me, uh, me sending money from A to B. And obviously in that process, you've got this cryptographic uh, sort of process that happens. I'll, I'll go through that in detail in a second. And then the, 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 the thing that most people are sort of eluded by is this whole Bitcoin mining thing. So have you heard of Bitcoin mining? No, I haven't. Okay, okay. So uh, this goes back to uh, this process I mentioned uh, about Visa and MasterCard being the transaction authorization uh, sort of people. Bitcoin mining is essentially the same thing. It's essentially this really complicated process that is done by really powerful computers, and it's no joke. Uh, some of these computers use a serious amount of electricity to do this work. Um, I think you know you can buy one of these computers for ten thousand dollars, and they consume roughly uh, you know double that every year in terms of electricity bill. Right. Um, it's probably worth validating uh, if you've got a second, but. Um, Bitcoin mining is essentially the process of releasing new currency into the into the network. And initially, when it started, uh, 50 Bitcoins were being released every 25 minutes. And then every few years, that number halves, okay? So I think until uh, quite recently, it was 25, but it's now about to change to being uh, 12 and a bit Bitcoin released every 25 minutes. And so that number is going to start showing diminishing returns. Okay. Yeah. And those Bitcoins are essentially the reward for figuring out the cryptocurrency. So you can leave your computer mining Bitcoin. And if it happens to figure out uh, this part of the algorithm and add it to the blockchain uh, faster than another computer, then it gets the reward of those new currencies. So okay. suddenly, so you understand why it's a, it's a lucrative business, because if you figure out that uh, that chain, you get 25 Bitcoin, which in today's world is $25,000. Okay. So over time, this is going to become less and less and less. And so incentivizes in the long term, less and less interest in mining new Bitcoin. And then what you'll then have is uh, a fixed number of Bitcoin globally. And uh, that will, I think, hold the value of the coin, but it will yeah. naturally settle in a way that means it's on par with some of the currencies we have uh, in the world today. And I think um, that's the interesting dynamic with Bitcoin about how it's going to start interacting with all the other set currencies which have been established for some centuries and i think from an institutional framework perspective that's the main issue with it because bitcoins are becoming so much more valuable each month each year as more people buy into the concept and the issue for policymakers is when the bitcoin starts to get used to attack other currencies so I'll just explain a little bit about the IMF first. Okay, so yeah. the IMF was set up, I think, 1944. And its main aim is to just stabilize the global economy. So make sure that there are as little shocks as possible. Obviously, you're going to get them whenever you had the um, Great Recession in 2008, for example. But it essentially has a reserve of most of the major currencies in the world because all the nations in the world, apart from North Korea, obviously, have bought into the IMF and its goal. Now, because Bitcoin isn't backed by a government per se, 
the IMF doesn't have a store of Bitcoins in its reserve, which means that Bitcoins are actually quite a lucrative currency to use for speculative attacks, if you know what that okay. is. Okay, yeah, now go on, explain. So you buy weak currency, you sell that weak currency for a stronger currency, and then using that stronger currency, you again buy more of the weak currency. And if you do that cycle long enough, you start to massively undervalue the weaker currency and then you gain profit from the process. Now, the central bank and the IMF, or most central banks in the world, have reserves of currencies, so they're able to mitigate against this process happening on a large scale. However, because the IMF doesn't have a reserve of bitcoins, if bitcoins was used in that attack because it is starting to be deemed as a strong currency, the IMF would not be able to stop that destabilization of another currency. Wow. So... I and mean, we've touched on it a little bit before how Bitcoin is quite unregulated, but if it keeps on becoming more valued, it's going to get to a point where the IMF will need to take indirect or direct control. Okay. But that can't happen if a government or a nation doesn't back Bitcoins as a currency in its country as well. Exactly. It's completely deregulated. Exactly. So I think there's still an uncertain period for it because as we've seen since it was incepted in 2009, its value has been volatile. And I think if it doesn't show any willingness to be integrated with the current financial system in the world, then you may see some people actually back out of the concept. Wow. That's pretty, it's pretty, I, I'd never thought of uh, that element of of it, actually. Um, th- there's no way that even the IMF could sort of step in and say, hey, everyone around the world, um, uh, <laughs> do exactly. this. Because yeah, I'm, do you remember when the, oh, I think it was the British government tried to tie the um, pound to, oh, it was one of the European con- currencies, happened in like 1992. Mm-hmm. And essentially this process happened and um, someone did a speculative attack on the pound and the value of the pound devalued massively. Wow. So much to stand at the central bank, the IMF had to step in to stop it. But if someone uses bitcoins in that scenario, yeah, there's nothing it's... to stop. Interesting. But then you could also argue that because no one person controls Bitcoin, it's really hard to do the speculative attack because you need serious control of the currency, right? Exactly. And that's someone, what they would argue. And, 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 and so that, yeah, unless someone has the majority of Bitcoin in the network, it's really hard to ask everyone, hey, uh, go to an exchange and start buying this thing. Because the other thing is this has to happen through an exchange, right? Yeah. You have to say, oh, yeah, so... What you're saying is is bang on. However, the reality of it happening is also partly mitigated by the way Bitcoin works. Because Which it's I think distributed. It's, it's a main strength because it's so hard to gain a monopoly on exactly. the supply of it. Exactly. The larger and it gets, the more hard it is to break down the system. <laughs> exactly. It's only getting stronger. I think the only way you can bring down Bitcoin is to is to is to is to is to own i think the majority of bitcoin so you need to own like a greater than 51 or 50 point something percent of the currency in order to be able to manipulate uh the global ledger so the the, the ledger on everyone's machine you need to be able to take control of every computer just to get you over 51 percent and then at that point you can manipulate the currency but that is incredibly hard <laughs> could you imagine that having all that I mean, supply i i yeah i mean 
I don't know. I'm not a computer guy. I'm not a geek, but uh, I I would imagine that's a very hard thing to do. It's a bit like uh, shareholders in a company, and then what you have to do is is, is do a like a, a 50%, 51% buyout. But you don't know who all the people are. You don't know uh, all the transactions that are happening at that very moment. You're thinking of doing it, and on top of that, you've got to do this simultaneously. You got to you got to do that whole buyout in like seconds, uh, and then have that propagate globally. And it doesn't it doesn't do that quickly because it's um, um obviously quite hard to do it now in the sense that more bitcoins are still being generated. But do you think yeah. once you get to twenty twenty five and you have the fixed supply, and because the algorithm stopped by then, do you think as time goes on it will be a little bit easier for someone to sort of learn the system and manipulate it, or do you think that it's still by that point even though new currency stopped being made, it's just so the thing is, the system is quite elegant because the, 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 there's a paper on how the whole entire system works. The uh, the code for the uh, Bitcoin is is publicly available, and I think the the whole idea with most cryptocurrencies is that you have to you have to make it transparent to uh, to people how the whole thing works, and so it, it's hiding in plain sight. I mean, it, you don't have to know, you don't have to be a genius to go on the internet, download the academic paper on Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or a particular cryptocurrency of your choice and then understand how it works and then try and look for ways of manipulating it. But the thing is, is the way that Bitcoin was constructed and I think most cryptocurrencies tend to be constructed is that they're set up in such a way that once they have a critical mass, it just becomes harder and harder and harder to take advantage of them. Now, okay, you go to 2025, there's now a fixed number of Bitcoin. Well, that I think changes the economics of things because I think the smallest value uh, that a Bitcoin can be broken down to is like a Satoshi, yeah. um, named after the guy who, who started it. We'll talk about the guy in a second. Um, but uh, it's named a Satoshi. And I think that's, I don't know the exact value. Are you able to look it up? I think it's 0. 0.00001 of a Bitcoin. I don't know how many zeros, but I think I got that right. Satoshi um, to Bitcoin. There we go. So one Satoshi. Oh, it's not. $714.28. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so. Wait, so one Satoshi is worth seven hundred. Oh wait, sorry, that's a Bitcoin. <laughs> Here we go. One Satoshi is oh, this isn't worth anything. Naught point naught 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 one zero two six double seven. Okay, there you go. So <laughs> really small number, okay. But what will happen in twenty twenty five when that becomes a finite number is that that base value starts to rise, right? Because when you can't mine any more Bitcoin. Uh, what happens to something which has a finite resource? The value goes up. Value right? goes up. Exactly. So uh, if you're planning on getting any Bitcoin, do it before 2025. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if one Bitcoin wasn't worth $1,268, I'd get like 10. Well, even so, even though, if you say if you come into it now, you never know. You could you could find yourself uh, not even needing one Bitcoin. One Bitcoin could become uh, uh, a very, very... A uh, big number. You got to remember, there's only going to be, I think, 21 million uh, Bitcoin when this this whole algorithm finishes in 2025. And so, even if you have one, that is still a serious amount of cash if you think it about it. Like, so <laughs> I wouldn't just be going for one Bitcoin. I'd go for more. <laughs> um, if I win the lottery. Was, 
I, I kicked myself because there was a time when I was looking at Bitcoin and one Bitcoin was worth 20 quid. And 20 for some quid? Bizarre, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for some bizarre reason, the way you had to get Bitcoin, this was like seven years ago in the UK, the way you had to get Bitcoin is you had to have a Barclays Ping It uh, app, yeah? And then you had to use this Barclays Ping It app to transfer money to someone who you didn't know was actually going to give you the Bitcoin in exchange. You just had to go on trust. All there was was a piece of uh, transaction saying you've made an order and the order will be complete when this person pays you the money. So you, there's, there's, <laughs> there, was, there, was like, there was a very narrow window where you were like, you could easily get screwed, right? And I thought, okay, I, was, I wanted to buy three Bitcoin. I thought, ah, three Bitcoin is a nice number. It's a nice start. And you know, if I want to do more, then I can keep investing in the future. And I just didn't do it because I didn't trust the transaction. And then <laughs> here I am. I went back in on a much smaller amount of Bitcoin. I think I put like a pound or, or so on in there. And now I'm just kicking myself because I'm like, man, if I had three Bitcoin. <laughs> the return on that investment. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been so good. <laughs> and there have been some people. There have been some people who were, became Bitcoin millionaires um, because of that. Um, so it's a really interesting currency. I think, I think it's... Um, <laughs> it's a very it's a very strange um new age threat to how typical currencies work and you know i personally i i always go off on rants about banks because okay let me let me just go off on it now then uh banks had just one job they, they, they only have <laughs> you, one job <laughs> you had one job <laughs> you had one job as a bank okay calvin what is the core purpose of a bank what is their one job Safely store people's money. Exactly, exactly. And so if that is their one job, what should they be able to do at any moment in time? When someone asks for the money, they should be able to give them out instantly. Exactly. And so they should be, essentially, they, the banks should be having the world's best databases. That is essentially all a bank is, a database of where all the money is, right? Yeah. yeah. And I just don't understand how in the modern world we've got to today, we've ended up in a situation where banks don't have a clue what kind of risk they're exposed to. And they, they can't just open up a system and say, hey, this is the amount of risk we're exposed to. Because they've gotten into this so fanciful art of coming up with um, value-based uh, sort of transactions that are like, oh, if I buy this uh, currency and this deficiency and this, like, I don't know, terms that I don't even understand. And they're just trading fictitious values of I don't know what. And they've just created this web of messiness that, yes, maybe drives currencies and drives value in the world that we live in today. But for me as an individual, you have one job, and that's to keep my money safe. So if you're going to play games with my money, tell me, and I'll take my money out. And I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand how... how, how how these things work. I know I understand they, they have to make money somehow. And I know they do that by manipulating when money comes in and that comes out. But they still have to know where their money is going. If you're going to do that with my money, for goodness sakes, track it properly. I mean, I mean like, not meaning to wholeheartedly defend the banks, but if we look into 2008, that was just, you had the issue of banks were being irresponsible because they were lending out money to people who they knew weren't realistically going to pay it back. But they thought of like the twenty percent risk that we can make, like sixty percent return on top of what we've already gained from that person. So many banks took it, it escalated, it escalated, it escalated. Everything that they were doing was built upon that faulty foundation, and then when everyone realised that foundation was false, it just crashed down. And I think it goes back earlier to what we were discussing about 
how the banking world is hidden and how yeah. I think that's probably Bitcoin's and cryptocurrency's greatest strength is the absolute transparency behind it. And sort of the, um, it doesn't really place normative judgments on the transaction, which you sort of feel like banks do. There are some things banks can't let you process for. Yeah. And maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing, but I think to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, it works in their favor. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's, uh, oh man, I don't know. This is always very, always very bizarre. Very, very bizarre. I, I mean, I know I'm simplifying. I know I'm simplifying how banks work. I know the banks have been around for hundreds of years doing a great job in honest. In most cases, I, I don't know what happened more recently. But, you know, from a personal individual perspective and I look at the way people are using Bitcoins, the fundamental thing they want is to know that when they have a certain amount of money in their wallet, that money is available to them. And if they're going to do anything with that money, then they can put that back into the system in a way that's transparent so they can track that money. If I'm going to invest in a company and I do it through Bitcoin, at least I can track the progress of that company, you know? Exactly. And you can see what they're doing with that money. Ah, It's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think it's a it's a common it's a common it's a common issue I think uh, at the moment where people are looking towards uh, modern, not necessarily always technological based uh, systems, but they're looking towards modern platforms to basically get around problems that have inherently gone undealt with by uh, you know either governments or uh, global uh, institutions. And it's funny because. Um, Quite a few of the banks have now started researching their own cryptocurrencies. It's a typical thing. So Yeah, I think it, um, it just goes back to efficiency as well. Some people just don't see government-backed institutions as the most efficient way to deal with problems, which is why you have all of these private currencies, private firms popping up and then solving the issue for them and causing conflict with governments. But it's an interesting yeah. phenomenon which will continue. So the, the the thing is, um, and this is, I think, something that people misunderstand. Um, so banks have started uh, finalizing their specifications for their own versions of Bitcoin. So you've got Goldman Sachs, which recently uh, uh, patented something called the Settlecoin. Uh, you've got uh, groups, uh, fintech. Fintech is essentially financial technology. Um, fintechs uh, groups have been forming, uh, mainly backed by some of the big banks, you know, your UBS, Barclays, Lloyds. They've all been getting together, almost clubbing together. To tr- I, I almost feel like they're doing it to protect an industry that has so heavily been theirs. And the critical problem is most of the world's money is in their bank account. So ultimately, unless we all do a run on the banks at the same time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're all okay. But but they're, yeah. they're, they need to find their own versions of these things um, before that happens. Because essentially, if people do run a, do a run on the banks, then I think the whole system will just come crippling down. That will be the killer move. When people want to get their currencies out into some other currency, and by doing so, highlight how fragile those currencies are, and that only speeds up the process of, the, of, of, of something like Bitcoin taking over. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I'm looking back at... Um... Financial Times article about it. It says that UBS, Deutsche Bank, Santander, BNY Mellon, uh, which is um part of the broker called ICAP. So they're yeah. all teaming up to create their Bitcoin currency. But it's weird the statement that they made. They were planning to make it a cheaper and safer form of a currency. Now, I don't... You could maybe argue on it being cheaper, but I don't see how you can make it any safer as it is based uh, on safer. the way we've defined it. Probably they mean safer because uh, you can't get screwed over getting into it. That's probably all they mean. Um, Very fair. 
you know this whole mount uh, mount gox example where the money there i think that was just a good example of a company that isn't hasn't institutionally been worked like a bank before and they failed majorly to sort of keep that keep that um keep that keep people's monies and wallets safe um but this is it I, I i again i don't understand why they can't get behind a standard i know maybe the standard doesn't suit their the way they work and uh, i can also understand that uh you know some of these cryptocurrencies might necessarily work for certain types of transactions and i think um i mean it's very interesting in the world today there's a, i think there's how many currencies are there like 190 plus currencies um, around the world today yeah around that Exactly. And so I think one of the things people seem to also forget is that there doesn't have to be just one cryptocurrency. There can be hundreds of cryptocurrencies, much like there are hundreds of currencies around the world today. Uh, the UK could have its own cryptocurrency. Uh, the, the Americans could have their own cryptocurrency. All that happens is that you need to make sure that the exchange between these currencies is what's done properly. And that fundamentally remains, I think, the bit where innovation hasn't taken place. Um, no one's really figured out a safe way of... Uh, transferring from one uh, currency to another even in today's world where we have you know physical uh money like the i think the safest way i can think of is going to a market and saying i have 10 pounds who's going to give me uh, a certain number of euros and then the market just decides what the right price is and you just do it exchange physically but everything else is is, is so so vulnerable yeah well should we um wrap this one up yeah so yeah, I think it's been a really interesting podcast. A slightly tough one. We only chose one topic um, because I think it needed a little bit of drilling drilling into. Um, uh, what have you taken away from the show? Um, I think just how complex it is and just how much you actually... You can't just go off, say, two or three stories you see about it in the news. You actually have to go on your own and do your own research to properly understand how it works. Exactly. There's no one single place where you can understand the thing. And I think that's a typical problem with these crowdsourced uh, platforms. The onus is on you. And unfortunately, people who get it get into it straight away and they just they just get involved and they start participating. But for people who don't, they're missing out. And I think the longer they miss out, they become the people who get disadvantaged when they join late. Um, so, yeah, anyway that's that's it that's been the show slightly shorter than usual today uh but we, we thought we'd gone a more focused uh view of that um you can find us on a decade apart.com uh the show notes for this episode will be on a decade apart.com uh forward slash three uh all the show notes will be available there um you might have noticed last week in our show notes we actually had a sponsor in the form of an affiliate amazon affiliate so what we're going to try and do to help pay the bills from time to time is essentially add an affiliate link in our show notes and essentially that will normally link to some sort of content or um service that relates to what we've been talking about and essentially the affiliate aspect of that just helps to uh, sponsor the work we're doing here the equipment that we use for the podcast and essentially supports us you know buy us a lunch from time to time for, for 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 the time we're putting into this so it's not going to be an overt ask in every episode we're just going to put them in the show notes and if you if you want to support us that's the best way to do it okay uh that's it for the show calvin i'll see you soon see you soon mate have a good one hey it's tim here you've made the after show section of the podcast Essentially, the after show is essentially the era of the podcast where we add in all the content that we couldn't include in the original show. 
Uh, from time to time, we have to take out sections or maybe I rant on too much about something. Uh, we basically take those bits out and we put them all in at the end. Uh, think of it as a special reward for making it this far into the podcast and listening in. We're never going to mention it in the follow-up. We're never going to mention it in the podcast. So the only way you know about this section is if you make it to the end of the show. Enjoy. Cool. That was good. Decent. Did you know that in the show notes? Did you see the show notes last week? Yeah, I did see that. That was good. I've got um <laughs> Yeah, one my the one article I used, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Because that's yeah, quite interesting. Yeah. Email me, email uh, just email it to me and then I'll compile them and we'll we'll, we'll get it together. Yeah. Man, um, Bitcoin's how... worth twelve hundred dollars. What is that? I this? was like, fuck me. <laughs> 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 I was like, oh my lord. I was like, seriously. That's a classic example of like, <laughs> should have researched that before the show. Because <laughs> I, I saw it. I saw the article about it being um, more valuable than gold. And for some reason in my head, I was like, oh yeah, gold's not that, not that valuable. And I just looked at it and I was like, Christ. It's a lot of money. It is, it is. It's crazy. It's crazy. I can't, I can believe it. I'm kicking myself for not buying these three Bitcoin. <laughs> It was 20 quid. <laughs> <laughs> could have been rolling in it. Yeah, could have, could have. Oh, I'm really wow. curious about your Bitcoin wallet. <laughs> oh, yeah, mate. So I use a service called Zappos. So it's all sitting there. I need to just, it's really easy though. That thing, I, I had a painful experience. So let me, let me tell you about this. Um, all right. Essentially, are you still recording? Yeah. Good. Um. So essentially what happened was, I bought Bitcoin and I actually managed to lose my wallet because I formatted my computer without realizing how significant it was. And in this particular case, I know I bought one Bitcoin. I know I bought one Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) I am 100% sure of it. And to this day, I I keep thinking I backed up the encryption key somewhere on my machine because I have multiple Dropbox backups. And I never, I've never ever sat down and just gone through every folder in every Dropbox backup that I have and just search for it. But I know that the day I do, I'm going to literally be laughing That's because cool. I know I know for a fact I bought one Bitcoin and this really annoys me. I know I tried to buy three ages ago and it failed miserably. I actually succeeded in buying one Bitcoin uh, a little bit later. And now that I know that I have it, I'm just like, oh, I've got to hunt this down. But I also have to accept that if I've lost it, I've lost it. I, like, I can log into my account where it says it has one Bitcoin, but I can't access anything. It just says, ah, oh, that key doesn't match what we want. So it's like a, a tease. Yeah. Like, I'm the only one who knows that I have one Bitcoin. An eternal uh, tease. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a genuine problem because some people have lost many Bitcoin. And so I think the number of just unused Bitcoin in the currency is just going to stay there. And all that will do is, again, drive value up. Yeah, Crazy. You should do that today. I will do it. I need serious time to go through those backups because they were huge. And what I used to do is whenever I got a new computer or a new external hard drive, I used to move the backups around. So I'm looking at like uh, one or two terabytes worth of just uh, wholesale backups of Dropbox. It was really crude. I used to do this every six months. I just copy everything in Dropbox to an external hard drive and take like a a six-month snapshot of everything that was in Dropbox. For this exact reason, in the event that I, I changed something, I deleted something ages ago, like photos or videos that I needed a backup of. Um, so I've got all the backups. I just need to go back in and just uh, 
Uh, just look for them. But, oh, man, I can't believe it's worth that many dollars. It's ridiculous. And it's only going to increase. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't so, see any reason for it to be devalued again like it was. So, mate, do you know what is a really, really good idea? Yeah. Literally, anytime you want to save money, just buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Literally. The rate of return on that is better than the 4% APR that you get like in, in any savings account, honestly. Now, you also need to be aware that it could epically plummet in any moment. and then you lose suddenly, all my money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just lose all your money. That's like the other side of it. But uh, yeah, that, that's serious. I mean, this is not financial advice, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're not allowed to be responsible for anything anyone does from this. Yeah, this is just me talking here. Bitcoins but... aren't safe. Don't do it. Trust the banks. They love you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness, V. I couldn't believe that. I could not believe that. I also, man, banks literally. Man, I, could, so I, could tell, I could tell you could have like, done that rap for an hour. <laughs> yeah, thanks for cutting me short. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I was. Uh, it annoys me so much. I, I I don't even know why I have this passion. I'm not a banker. I don't work in any sort of financial regulation organization. Maybe I should, but I just as, as someone who's like fixated on data and being a quantified self, I still struggle. Like, I always try to rationalize. What is it that a bank does? And for the majority of people and businesses, that is their only job. They just have to keep my money safe. That's all they do. Yeah, but um. All the banks were stupid right from the first moment where you just had the average person be like, hey, this is my financial situation. And this is in like 2003. This isn't even that close to 2008 yet. And he was, he or she would have been like, yeah, this is my savings. It's my credit history. I want a mortgage. Banks were just like, yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, like you have absolutely no capital behind you and you're in debt, but sure, here's a mortgage. And then they were like, do you know what we can do? You can couple these mortgages together, call it a security, and then we can use that to invest. And then we use the returns of that investment to invest in something else. <laughs> and like, I don't know how long it took for someone, just a group of people to ask the question, like, are the values of those securities actually viable? Because anyone that's any split second asks for the return of them back, then you have to go all the way back to the initial mortgage that you lent out. And because people are falling back on payments, they actually don't have the capability to pay in the future. It just, the whole system just didn't know what to do. Like systematic failure yeah. across everywhere. Yeah. And then you just had um, Lehman Brothers knocking on the US bank's doors. Like, can we have money? They said no. They were like, okay, we'll shut down. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the story like, goes, yeah. There isn't a compromise. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. I, I just still don't understand it. Uh, it annoys me so much. Uh, you know, this more makes me pleased about Monza. I don't know why. Monza is just uh, like any other bank, of course. But um, I, I just love how uh, how Monza work. I love I love the way that they, they give you so much transparency into what's going on with your own account. Um, and I love the fact they're being crowdfunded as well. I'm a, I'm a proud, like, uh, small investor in them now, so... I should have done... I should have crowdfunded Monzo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is absolutely... Maybe not. I mean, to me, Monzo just feels like what a bank in 2017 should be. Exactly. Whereas HSBC feels like a bank should have been in, like, 2000. <laughs> and I, I think the important thing to say is they feel like a bank for personal banking. I think there's different f types of banking globally, obviously. Sure, of yeah, course. Yeah. So, but, yeah, for, for, for a personal banking system, like, oh, I can't tell you how 
refreshing it is to like i actually look forward to opening my monzo app and seeing how much money i have left <laughs> even if it says zero because it's such a joy to use the app it's just yeah. and this isn't an advert they haven't paid us to do this but i'm just gonna flat <laughs> We're not out brand say, ambassadors yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly but i'm just gonna flat out say it if you haven't used monzo download the app uh, use it if you if there's a waiting list to get in give any of us a shout on twitter and we'll we'll uh we'll get you through the waiting list because uh, now they do like invites if you've already been using the system for a while you can invite an unlimited number of people immediately into the system that's how i got you in so um yeah shout out to um tom weston a very good friend yeah. live with him yeah. introduced him to monzo <laughs> loves it <laughs> He's on, the, he's on the hype train. He's on the hype train. Amazing. It's so good. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I'd love to I'd love to do a diagram of how many people I've convinced to use Monzo. Uh, my, my Monzo <laughs> account, uh, my Monzo friend uh, account is going up. So every week I open the Monzo up and it's like, oh, three of your friends are using Monzo. I'm like, yes. And I'm going down. And for the first time last week, I actually had to scroll down to see how many people were in the list. I was like, yes, it's real time. And there are people that I wouldn't even expect to be using this kind of app you know um people who yeah. just yeah anyway I, i'm really pleased that they've been given bank status in the uk so i think they're going for that later this year um and once it oh really yeah, yeah so you're going to be able to use it as a current account i have your salary go into it have direct debit set up oh. from it and oh my lord that i literally the minute i can do that i am closing my my uh my bank account <laughs> from a bank that i won't mention but yes i'm closing that account straight away and just using this exclusively because can you imagine how cool it will be like everything you do everything i do just go through my phone and it's beautiful i don't have a phone number that i have to call to get something done it's really secure oh yeah i love it i love it oh man anyway that's been a good show um that was a good show uh right so now your challenge is to export this podcast and uh yeah send it to me asap (laughs) i want to try and do some editing this evening later so like at nine o'clock so if you can export it and leave it uploading in the next 10 minutes that would be great 